the way that Jesus chose to come was very unexpected. He did in a very upside-down way. He came in a very unexpected package. He didn't come as the high priest, as a Pharisee, as the leader of that faith to usher in the Messianic age. No, he came as a lowly carpenter. Well, you're never going to believe what happened to me this week. My belt broke. Of all things, my belt broke and I needed a belt. And so I decided I was looking around. I have a bunch of old wristwatches. So I was like, what if I just link all these together and make a belt? No one's really going to see it under my shirt. And let me tell you, putting together a bunch of wristwatches together to make a belt, real waste of time. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 155. I hope you enjoyed that little dad joke. Um, It's so great to be back with you. If this is your first time listening, please make sure you rate and review this podcast. Or if it's been a while since you've done that, please make sure you do that on whatever uh, outlet you are listening to this podcast on. And please make sure you visit our website, manafoodforthought.com or manafft.com and look at um, all of the new stuff over there. Um, You can hit the subscribe button, you can join our email newsletter, and you can hit the give button and become a financial donor for as little as $1 a month. Become a patron of the podcast to keep it on the air. We've been on the air over five years now. It's crazy. So thank you to all of our patrons. God bless you. Know of my prayers and appreciation for you. And uh, please, yeah, visit the website and see all of the old podcast and uh, blog content and stay up to date on all the things coming out. But without further ado, let's uh, look at... Uh, our joy junk in Jesus. So uh, what's your joy junk in Jesus? A high moment, a low moment, a moment where you experienced Jesus. Mine, this past week, a lot of joy. We went to, on Saturday, we went to a baptism for um, my former co-host, Jenna, and her husband had their third child recently, and so Oliver got baptized, and we had a reception um, at one of their friends' homes. And then um, we went straight from there to a two-year-old's birthday party, one of my childhood friends, um, their two-year-old daughter, uh, turned to. And so it was a full day of celebration. And then the next night, we went out with some of my wife's, uh, or some friends of ours that my wife um, knows through one of her old jobs, who've become uh, good friends of ours. And so it was just really great to have a weekend full of like community and family, and it was very tiring. And we had the kids at two of those things. Uh, They did really well, and they loved having cake twice in one day, which was a highlight for them, so a lot of joy. My junk, um, not too much, really. Um, My junk really has just been um, Amazon. Amazon keeps trying to deliver things to my job, um, valuable things that are not cheap, that we need for different projects that are coming up. Um, outside of the delivery instructions and the delivery window. We're open from 9 to 5, and they keep showing up at 5.30, 6 o'clock. So it happened on Friday, and I said, we're not there. Try, and, try again on Monday. And so uh, they came back on Monday, except at 7.30 p.m. So, yeah, I'm a little irritated at that. But luckily, we had Bible study happening, and there were people here, so we were able to get what we needed. But, um, yeah, I, I was uh, on the phone having some words with people at Amazon today. And I, uh, you know, kind words, but uh, trying to figure out what to do to uh, help this frustration go away. So, but if that's all I have to really complain about, what a first world problem, right? So um, not too much junk in my life. Jesus moments. um, So we've been trying to put together these discipleship groups, um, a men's group and a women's group as part of um, something that's going to be happening with our parish mission. 
And so we're trying to put these together so we can pilot it and be able to instruct our parishioners how this works. And I just have really experienced the Holy Spirit in a really profound way, kind of guiding us to who we're meant to kind of invite into those groups. And so it's been really, really awesome. Um, and uh, I've really just been kind of just blown away by, I mean, we've always had, ever since I've been at this parish, so almost nine years, we've had a very vibrant young adult community. Um, but just seeing them show up week after week at Bible study and have fellowship with each other and, um, you know, coming to the young adult ministry stuff here and, and locally is just, it's really encouraging. You know, you hear so much about like, oh, the church is in trouble and people are leaving. And, and I just see across the board, like all these organizations that have young adult missionaries, like net focus, Damascus missionaries, um, life teen missionaries, like all that's just in like the United States, though net and focus, I think might be more international at this point and life teen too, but, um, mainly in the United States. It's just really incredible to see like this revival and resurgence among faith, among young adults. And that's just going to create really vibrant young families that are then going to be really well formed and are really going to pave the way for a new era in the church. And so I think it's, I, I have a lot of hope. I'm not buying into all this, you know, we got to look out. We see, yeah, we need to make an effort. We need to really be evangelizing and ensuring that those people who are coming to us are well-fed and well-formed and are finding good community and being welcomed. Um, but I, I see the groundwork being laid for like some incredible stuff happening. We've had more weddings here at our parish uh, than ever before in my time here uh, in this coming year. I mean, like twice as many. Uh, and people are often complaining like, you know, why, why aren't more people getting married in the church? And um, it's just, it's really cool to see that happening. So um, I'm, I hope it's not just in our community, even though I'm grateful that it is in our community. I hope it's happening elsewhere, but um, it's encouraging to see. So I've definitely been seeing the Lord in that. So anyway, uh, let's get into our second reading for this week. This Sunday is Palm Sunday. And so you're going to hear the Passion reading according to the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, but your second reading is going to be from the famous Christ hymn from the letter that St. Paul wrote to the Philippians, uh, chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. Paul writes this, church to, uh, this letter to the church in Philippi, which is in modern-day Greece, uh, kind of in the, on the Greek Isles or Greek islands or that part of Greece, the southern part of Greece. And um, he writes it while he's in jail while he's imprisoned. And yet it's nicknamed the epistle of joy, or it's one of the ones that he writes in prison that are nicknamed the epistles of joy, because it just is characterized with all of this like beautiful, positive, praiseworthy language, despite the fact that he's in prison, you know, and awaiting his death or his persecution. And so um, very famous passage you've heard. We hear it many times throughout the year, every year. Uh, and so uh, listen to it uh, as we prepare to hear it this Sunday. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. Paul writes, Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, coming in human likeness and found human in appearance. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Because of this, God greatly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend, of those in, hev in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
What stands out to me this week in this reading is this concept of humility, of the divine humility that God has so much so that he would condescend to become like us and allow himself to become a slave to those around him to the point that led to his death. A slave in the sense that he is a servant to all, willing to die for all, willing to be persecuted, even though he has the power to overcome it. You're going to hear in the Passion account, uh, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, like, you know, I think when they're coming to arrest him and someone strikes the high priest's servant's ear and cuts it off, he says, like, put your sword away. Like, don't you realize, like, I could call down 12 legions of angels from my father? Like, I, he's saying, like, I can get out of this if I want to. I have the power. It's clear that he is desiring in a very specific way to lessen himself, to humble himself, not just in the act of becoming human, but especially in the moments of his passion to show for us an example of what it means to pursue the Lord, that we think less of ourselves and more of him. It's like in the words of John the Baptist, where he says, he must increase, I must decrease. And that's hard for us because we don't like to lessen ourselves. Our culture tells us like you have to celebrate yourself. You have to be autonomous and independent. And we live in a world that is prime with opportunities and examples of people making a brand out of their very self, becoming influencers, trying to market themselves and make themselves very important and affluent and sought after, uh, either as representatives of a brand or as just people that, that others want to be like. And this opposing idea of lessening ourselves, of humbling ourselves, we don't really get that. You know, we don't really think that way. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes in verses 27 to 29, he says, Rather, God chose the foolish of the world to shame the wise, and God chose the weak of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly and despised of the world, those who count for nothing, to reduce to nothing those who are something so that no human being might boast before God. This is how God works. God doesn't work through the famous, the popular, the influencer, the affluent, the uh, well-liked. He works through the least likely suspect. He works through the lowly, through those who are not at the pulpits or uh, presiding at masses. Not that God doesn't work through priests and preachers, but the way that Jesus chose to come was very unexpected. He did in a very upside down way. He came in a very unexpected package. He didn't come as the high priest, as a Pharisee, as a member of the Jewish uh, legal structure, as the leader of that faith to usher in the Messianic age. No, he came as a lowly carpenter. Someone who most would not bat an eye at or take seriously. Because he wanted to communicate to us that the lowest of the low, the poorest of the poor, those who are marginalized, oppressed, ostracized, cast out, they are the ones that Jesus wants to bring salvation and redemption for all the world through. That he glorifies and brings strength through the weak. He glorifies himself and brings beauty through those people or things that we might see as unfavorable or ugly. And so this idea of lessening ourselves is something that can be uncomfortable. And I think one way that we can realize that maybe this is difficult for us is asking, how often do you celebrate or highlight the good work, talents, and qualities of others? Like in a public way. 
Often when others come up in conversation, if they're not there, it's in gossip and it's to say something negative or to criticize. And then we boast about ourselves. We love talking about ourselves. Like that's what people always tell you when you're on a first date or in a social situation. Ask questions. People love to talk about themselves. It's like, well, gross. Like, should we? Like, shouldn't we be actively curious about others and seeking to encounter Jesus Christ in them? Shouldn't we be actively finding opportunities to celebrate and highlight the good qualities, the beauty, the truth that we encounter in other people? And so, like, how often are you writing thank you notes or affirmations to those in your life? Or letting the people in your life know uh, who love you or who have impacted you, let them know the difference they've made in your life. Like, we often don't do that. We often just kind of let those people go unappreciated. And I think that's because we have this belief that we're the main character in the story. We look through at our life through the lens that like we're the main character in the story. We're the hero. We're the protagonist. And everyone else are these ancillary characters or antagonists or people who are like actively attacking us. And like, you know, oh, why is this happening to me? Why me? As if like I am the center of the universe. And the reality is, is that Jesus is the main character in the story. And we are all blessed to be able to be invited to play these supporting roles to lead people to him, to highlight the fact that this story is about him. It's about something greater. It's not about us. And the only reason we're on stage or as part of the story in the first place is because he has invited us, is empowering us to be, and is giving us the very life and the breath that we breathe to be able to be a part of the story at this time in salvation history. I was in, in theater in high school and I loved being in the spotlight. You know, and I remember that feeling of wanting the attention, of liking the applause, of always trying to get the laugh. And I, that was the way that I coped for a long time and probably still do, to be honest, in social situations. If I'm uncomfortable or if I'm trying to, you know, uh, run away from dealing with certain issues or problems or awkward tension or avoiding a difficult situation, I try and uh, turn to comedy. I try and make a joke out of it. I try and get a laugh and uh, make the mood more lighthearted. And though and sometimes that can ease the tension. It doesn't actually solve the problem. It doesn't address the thing that needs to be addressed. And it doesn't allow the most important thing to be front and center. In James chapter 4, verse 3, James writes, You ask but do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. We often think in terms of our own goals, in terms of our own plans, or we often approach God in terms of our own prayers through the lens of what do I want? What do I desire? What are my passions, my desires pointing me towards? And that's a very self-focused, selfish way to think. St. Vincent Ferrer, he said, whatever you do, think not of yourself, but of God. Very simple phrase. Whatever you do, think not of yourself, but of God. Whenever we have these appetites, these desires, these plans, these goals, these longings in our life, are we thinking about what is this going to get for me? How, what am I going to get out of this? What kind of accolades or attention am I going to receive? Or are we thinking, how is this going to serve the kingdom of God? Is this what God wants? Does this glorify him? Is this going to lead me closer to Jesus? And then we look out at others around us and we criticize if we don't see ourselves getting what we want, we see others getting what they want, we start to criticize, to prod, to poke, to tear down, to gossip. One of my favorite things to say, I usually say it in passing, if someone says something sarcastic or passive aggressive, I say, don't hate, congratulate. But I think it's a good kind of Christian motto 
to recognize in everything that we say and every word that comes out of our mouth and every thought that we have about others to not hate but to congratulate, to not spew negativity or criticize or jump to assuming that this person has something they don't deserve and how dare they because they're not the main character in the story. No, but to celebrate and congratulate the good that is happening in that person's life, the good that they are bringing into the world because ultimately that contributes to the main story, which is the ultimate good, the ultimate beauty of the story of Jesus Christ and the good news that he came, became man to suffer and die for our sins and rise so that we could have eternal life. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, uh, it says, You younger members, be subject to the presbyters, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility in your dealings with one another. For God opposes the proud, but bestows favor on the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. This is what we are working for. It's not about shining. It's not about being in the spotlight. It's about recognizing that we need to subject ourselves to authority, to the authority that God has placed over us, both uh, in society and in the church, and that we must clothe ourselves with humility in our dealings with one another. That when we are proud, we are opposing God's will for us. That was the first sin in the Garden of Eden, that Adam and Eve thought that they knew better than God. They took it upon themselves to do something to directly disobey him. They were proud. But if they had humbled themselves, lessened themselves, and recognized God knows what he's doing, they wouldn't have made that decision. So are you working for yourself? Are you thinking of yourself most often? Or are you working for sainthood? Are you working for the attention and the um, benefit of yourself, the attention from others, the way in which you can be most like or likable in the world? Or are you seeking to be set apart? You know, it says in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1, it says, A good name is more desirable than great riches and high esteem than gold and silver. It's better to have a good name than great riches. Being faithful and obedient to God is better, regardless of what others think. It's better for us in the long run. You cannot be well-liked by everyone and authentically live out the gospel at the same time. Otherwise, you are doing it wrong. And this really is the central idea, brothers and sisters, that if your life and your everyday faith, your everyday walk is characterized by worrying about what other people think of you or pursuing a positive thought that other people have of you, trying to get their attention, their affirmation, and not devoting that attention and time to what God sees and how God wants to use you, then you may be falling into the sin of pride. And that we are going to be doing a disservice to how we can live out the gospel if we are not willing to do so authentically and boldly to the point that we will probably not be well-liked by others, not by everyone, but by other people. We'll be persecuted. We'll be, people will talk about us behind our back. They will think negative things about us. They'll criticize because the world is programmed to think me, 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 me. And when anyone sees a light go up in the midst of the darkness, someone living authentically as themselves, set apart, doesn't care what anyone else thinks, it invites that criticism because it sparks an insecurity within everyone to say, oh, I want to live like that, but I can't, or I feel like I, I'm not able to. So instead of trying to be a light like them, I'm going to, I'm going to snuff their light out. 
That's what the devil does. That's what demons do. That's what we do when we're insecure. We criticize and we tear down and we turn to the negative instead of celebrating the good and the light around us and recognizing the more light that there is, the more spotlight is shining on the central player in this story, and that's Jesus. And so, brothers and sisters, my encouragement to you this week is to live that out to affirm, celebrate, highlight the good work, talents, and qualities in others, to write thank you notes or affirmation letters to those in your life, to let the people in your life who love you or who you love know how they've impacted you, the difference that they've made in your life. Recognize you're not the main character in the story. Jesus is. So what would your life look like if you took those words of St. Vincent Ferrer and you you took them to heart? Whatever you do, think not of yourself, but of God. Every decision that you made, every choice, every goal, every plan in your life, if you have a five-year plan, if you're an organized person, if you're always thinking ahead, what if you set that aside for a moment and just ask, what does God want? What would serve God best with the talents that I've been given, the time that I have, the education I have, or that I could I could attain? What would serve the church? What would serve God best? What would make Jesus shine on that stage of the story of salvation history just a little bit brighter? for others. What would that look like in my own life? How could I contribute to that? So when we hear this second reading proclaimed and we see the example of Christ's humility and see that he did not regard equality with God, something to be grasped, even though he was equal to God, he didn't live a life as if he were grasping for that greatness. Rather, he emptied himself. He allowed himself to look like so much less impressive, powerful, and worthy than he really was so that you and I would know and have an example of what it looks like to follow him, what it looks like to live the life of a disciple, that it's not about the glory. It's not about the attention, the accolades, the followers, the influencing. It's about none of that. It's about Jesus Christ being the central role, the the starring role, the one in the spotlight of the only story that matters in all of salvation history, and that you and I are blessed to play supporting roles in that so that others will be invited to be part of this great drama of salvation history, and they will be able to experience salvation for themselves. If you have experienced the truth of the good news and of salvation, and you are still miserable and unhappy, then I think that means you are still thinking too much of yourself and not recognizing what Jesus has done for you, not recognizing all the good that he desires to give you and not being open to trusting that he knows what he's doing in your life. And so whatever that means for you, whenever you're listening to this, whether it's right when it comes out or years from now, I just want to encourage you to think about your life through that lens this week. What if you're not the main character in the story? What if Jesus is? How can you glorify him in what you do? How can you experience the joy of a life lived in full pursuit of him, regardless of what others think? That is all I have for you this week, my brothers and sisters. Until next time, I will see you in the Eucharist. God bless you.